Welcome to Dominion Cast, the official podcast of the Creative Dominion. I'm Josiah. And I'm Devin. And this is the first episode. I mean, we've been wanting to do this for a long time. Uh, the website's been going good, but we thought, you know what, it needs something else. Um, this is just going to be a podcast about, you know, information of what's going on at the Creative Dominion, um, and also just movies and stuff that we like. So, yeah, I'm excited. How about you? Yeah, I feel good about it. It'll be nice. Just our thoughts on assorted media. Criticisms, analysis, base opinions. You'll get something out of it either way. And speaking of movies that deserve criticism, right. we decided <laughs> to do A New Hope. Absolute trash. No, you know, like the first, you know, a movie that everyone just hates. <laughs> everyone hates A New Hope. I mean, it's just suckiest movie ever. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to go really well. Um, we haven't, I haven't seen A New Hope in a really, really long time. I mean, it's been like at least two days. I mean, wow. Yeah, I know. It's it's, it's been it's, a while. For me it's been at least 2 years. You mean you haven't seen a new hope in 2 years? No. I mean, I know I've seen it since I got Disney Plus because it said resume on my Disney Plus. Makes sense. Um but yeah, I mean, I don't have the time. My problem is that I have the movie memorized. That's your problem? I can't justify rewatching it again. Huh. Well, I I, have, I don't have that problem. I only have so many hours in the day. I you do? <laughs> I I don't. I have I have unlimited amount of hours in the day. But anyway, Devin, okay, limited hours, man. Let's start, please. <laughs> so, right. So, A New Hope is about, you know, farm boy, a princess, and a smuggler, and his bear thing, yes. Wookiee. I like Star Wars. I'm being facetious and funny because... That's whenever you try to describe a new hope, it's like, wait, what happens and who does it and where? We do actually think it's a good movie. It's a really, really good movie. <laughs> it's 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 really good. It's it's actually been hard trying to find actual criticisms for it. Like there's a few that jump out immediately, but it's besides that, it's hard to, you know, to criticize the movie because it's a classic. It's a very well um, put together movie. Yeah. All around it's just it's very well executed. Yeah. Um they go on an adventure to save the princess, and then she says, Oh, wait, no, we have some plans we gotta get to somebody. And then they track their ship back to the base, and then they come. the bad guys come to destroy the good guys, and the good guys win. That's basically the entire movie and a podcast. Um, <laughs> Pretty right. standard fantasy plot, but with the sci-fi elements. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is weird how people classify it as sci-fi, but it's... It's not really. It's right. fantasy with sci-fi, like you said, sci-fi elements. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as, you know, pros go, I mean, it's it's a classic movie. I mean, it's the classic good versus evil. Um, it pioneered so many different things from visual effects to special effects to mm-hmm. the whole rebooted the entire genre back in 1977. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was really a really a revolutionary thing back in back in the 70s. Um mm-hmm. But yeah, I know you wrote down some pros, um, which, I mean, must oh, yeah. have been a pretty long list because it's a really, really <laughs> good movie. Um, I think first and foremost, the plot is the movie's biggest asset because the movie is extraordinarily well put together and it just, it starts slow and introduces exactly everything you need to know and then consistently builds on that with rising tension and upping the stakes. Yeah. It's just long enough, and the movie fits in everything that it needs to, plot-wise. 
Um, I remember first watching it, and it was really cool to see like the first opening part, the scene, is just immediate action. And I don't know if there has been a movie since besides, you know, every other Star Wars movie. (laughs) (laughs) Just, you know, Star Wars movies in general. Um, Mm. But there's, it kind of started that thing of like, oh my gosh, you're in the action. Like you're immediately into something. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is really cool. It kind of just takes you there. Yeah. And that was something that I, I mean, you know, I was like probably like eight, but I had never seen it before. And I don't think I've seen it done that well since, like. Something that grabbed my attention so immediately and held it for me. Except for, again, other Star Wars movies. Because it's Star Wars and I love it. Um, Yeah, definitely. It just hooks you right out the gate. And then it slows down so that it can consistently mount for the rest of the movie. Right. But speaking of slowing down, I know you had a complaint about right after the Tantum Four and Star Destroyer scene. Yeah, that's that uh, the movie slows down so that it can build back up. But it slows down too much and it's honestly the only gripe that i have with the movie is the pacing of the beginning basically after darth vader exits for the first time we follow c-3po and r2d2 and they just go to tatooine and walk around in sand for a long time very long time (laughs) it's like a solid 10 to 12 minutes of screen time yeah it's not not great not only does it slow down to a complete halt, and slowing down is a good thing. It just slows down too much. But it also is time that we don't spend with the main character. It's slow, and it's with side characters mm-hmm. that fade into the background for the rest of the story. Yeah. Yeah, and then that means that the main character isn't introduced until half an hour into the film. 20 minutes. Well, okay, 15 minutes into the film. 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was only 15 minutes. We originally thought it was 30, but it's 15 minutes (laughs) into the film, so it's not as bad. But I know that there... Again, we talked about this, but there's a scene (laughs) that was supposed to be Luke with Biggs at a house and on Tatooine looking up and seeing the Star Destroyer and the the ship. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was... I think that was supposed to break it up, but I think if they had added a scene in between where they crash land, like you see them hurtling towards Tatooine and then them coming out of the pod mm-hmm. and did give that gave that to Luke and introduced him then uh that would have kind of established him as okay he's do he's not really doing anything in the scene why would they be showing this to me unless he is a main character exactly um so yeah uh but again speaking of that the pacing of the movie the way that the movie's paced is very very fast it's well done once Luke is introduced. Yes. Then we have something to latch on to and an actual perspective to follow. Mm-hmm. Right. Then the movie gets going. Yeah. And it, I mean, it, it the movie is really good in the fact that it, it completely created something new. Like, it completely mm-hmm. just was all in George Lucas's mind and he threw it out and he gave, and he knew he couldn't establish the worlds and everything like that and the rules and the laws he wanted to create in one movie. So he's like, I'm just going to throw them into the action and act like everything's normal. Like, this is the universe. We're not going to explain it to you because it would be weird if the characters decided we're going to give a lesson about how the universe works compared to an Earth that they don't know exists. So, and the rationale behind that, especially back in the 70s. Um, Right. So, yeah, it did a really good job of just ignoring everyone's questions and just being like, we're going to answer these questions, but just give us a minute. Yeah, there's um, no Lord of the Rings style 
flashback to what happened 500 years ago. Mm-hmm. And that's just, not to say it didn't work in Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah. It worked really well in It worked really Rings. well there. Star Wars just does a really good job in Episode Four of answering questions slowly and subtly. Right. It never feels like, oh, the movie's answering my question. It just shows the characters living life, and it shows this is the way that life is for them. Right. It communicates a whole lot without the need for flashbacks. That's not to say flashbacks are bad. A New Hope just deftly shows all the information that it needs to about its world building, just in the actions that the characters make, as opposed to exposition. <laughs> right, yeah. Just filler stuff, yeah. Right. And it and it also it portrays really well about when something's off. Mm-hmm. So whenever, you know, they go to Alderaan or whatever, and they get Han and from Mos Eisley and Chewbacca, and then they go off to find Alderaan. But whenever they get there, Alderaan's gone. And so that surprises the characters. Mm-hmm. So that tells you that the Death Star is not some, some run-of-the-mill thing that happens. And then once they see, the, again, once they see the Death Star, they're kind of like, what the crap is that? So, again, it's telling you this isn't normal. Everything else that you've seen so far, with a few exceptions, whether or not how the characters react or whatever, um, this is normal. Mm-hmm. But then they make, a, make it a point to say, oh, this isn't normal. So we gotta, you got to make special note of that. And I think they introduced the Jedi really well. Mm-hmm. Um, they introduced you know, Obi-Wan lying to Luke. <laughs> Quote-unquote lying. I, I, he was... Half-truths. Half-truths. Let's call it a half-truth. Whole truth at the time. Right, right. Got to keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and I was shocked. This is a side note, but how different? Because we were look. I was looking through this before we started this, mm-hmm. and we were talking about it. And the the novelization. That, that's what I'm talking about when I mean this. Um, the novelization is a lot different than the actual script. The the overall story is the same, obviously, because it's a novelization of the movie. Um, but it's. It's different enough for you to be like, okay, George Lucas had more in mind. Like, Definitely. the novelization tells you he has an entire world that he's building. It's kind of like mm-hmm. Tolkien. You know, if you read the books, it's like this massive world that in the movies you see, but if you haven't read the books, you don't know how just how massive it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. And there's some nerdy stuff in the book that we won't get into right now um, <laughs> because... We gotta finish the overall story, but uh, but yeah, I thought yeah. that was really interesting. The movie does a great job showing the world building through the social norms, through the different ways that the characters say, "Ah, oh, this is normal." In fact, most of the world building is done by what the characters don't react to, like yeah. what you said, how Alderaan is gone, and that's a significant event that shows the true power of the Death Star. But it also it communicates world building, like when C three PO and R two D two aren't allowed into the bar because they're not served, and none of the characters react to it. It subtly conveys mm. it's the social norm that droids are less respected. They're not equivalent to human beings in this universe. Right. The movie does that consistently for the entire runtime, answering questions by how the characters don't react to situations. Right, and I know you disagree with that, that to some extent droids are equal. Yes. <laughs> I don't want to put words in your mouth, Ted. Like, you're right. Your <laughs> because while A New Hope does a really good job portraying that um, relationship, other movies build on it in a different way. And it's almost like every piece of Star Wars media, once the series opens up and was under more people's creative control, 
than just one guy. Everyone had slightly different opinions on how valuable droids were, which is why stuff like The Mandalorian or The Rise of Skywalker portrays droids as equivalent to human beings. But at the same time, droids are ruthlessly ruthlessly dispatched in The Mandalorian and The Clone Wars. It's one of the looser, less neat aspects of the world building. Right. But it's it's also, you know, in history, whenever they talk about movies about history, they do they call movies period pieces. Mm-hmm. Where it's like this is a t- this is about this time period. So it's this time period piece. Um and in Star Wars, it's kind of the same. Like in in the prequels, there's a certain type of the technology is which this is another problem in my opinion <laughs> where the technology is negligibly changing like it's like mm-hmm. barely changing it's for for every normal day people you know mm-hmm. um, but it's like the way people treat each other the culture of the entire universe changes and shifts because of the government's being toppled and that directly affecting everyday people mm-hmm. and so with the way droids happen uh, you know after the fall of the empire. You know, I know that. I know that you know the Mandalorian had some bias against them because of <laughs> things that happened to him in his past. But droids were kind of seen as, at least the way it's portrayed, five years after Return of the Jedi and the Mandalorian, that they don't matter. Mm. But you know, again, I know there's specific characters with different likes and dislikes and distrusts and everything like that. But it just seems like. You know, and the prequels, droids are kind of treated, at least in the Republic, as more respected, and then that kind of shifts, and, you know, it, it's just it's just interesting how things like that changes. Mm-hmm. Um, they change as the, as the series progresses, so I thought that was pretty cool, so. Definitely. Another thing that the world building does really well is it shows how not only droids, but aliens are treated as lesser beings. Oh, yeah. Simply by, and it never comes out and tells you, the Empire is super racist towards aliens. It yeah. just shows everyone in the Empire is a human. Mm-hmm. And aliens are stuck with less than desirable jobs in less than desirable conditions. Well, I mean, if you think about it, I I don't know this for a fact. But I know at least in Episode 4, in the Rebellion, they were all, like, white men. That, that's true <laughs> as well. In Episode 6, it's a little different. With that being said... For the original trilogy as a whole, once they actually had time and effort... Episode 6? Yes. <laughs> the last film of the trilogy? I'm saying as a general rule, the world building communicates that pretty effortlessly. Yeah, I mean, it. it, it and also it fits the char- overall character of the Empire. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, they're oppressive, they... You know, they kill people at will. They blow up entire planets. Mm. They're racists, and you know, right. it's it's <laughs> it's it's talked about in the in the books a lot. It's talked about you know how people can't get into the academy because they're aliens and they're looked down upon and mm. all that kind of stuff, which explains why also the first order is the way it is. It, they don't accept aliens, um, and that kind of goes on into the sequel trilogy from the original one. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah. But like, I get what you're saying. As once <laughs> they got time. To kind of explain some of those things, um, it, it was portrayed that, okay, the Rebellion, they are not full of racists. <laughs> the Empire, they're all white men the entire time. Which is at least slightly problematic. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, in episode five, I know that they, some of the, like, whenever there's the bounty hunter scene, mm-hmm. whenever they're like, some of the officers are talking and they're like, 
bounty hunters we don't need their scum or something like that mm-hmm. and then they like look at disgust at the aliens or whatever like they show that it, it, there's just subtle things that kind of portray that mm-hmm. um but yeah that is that is an interesting side note as well to be fair though i feel like the rebellion was pretty small from the get-go yeah and it's implied that they're all from the same planet oh older on you're right so you're right like it fixes itself it's weird like, how it does that i feel like that's not anti-diversity i feel like that's just more they're all from Happens the same things. place yeah and they and they all seem to treat princess leia as their princess right which also not their general their right. princess because they're all from the exact same planet and the mm-hmm. exact same nation and i mean even episode five because they went straight from you know yavin mm-hmm. to go finding hoth right well but- it's been it was a few months but as the trilogy goes on, the rebellion grows more and more, and as a result, its aliens grow more and more. Right, and the you know the meeting at the on the on the ship on uh, uh, like the Moncala ship or whatever in Episode Six, yes. there's aliens there now because they have a bigger fleet and everything. So exactly. it does fix itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's an interesting note. I didn't think about that, but yeah, but yeah, I mean, overall, A New Hope is a very good movie. It brings in Darth Vader, one of the one of the greatest, if not the greatest villain, and most iconic, I should say, Absolutely. villain of all time. <laughs> um, and, you know, Ben Kenobi, you know, Obi-Wan's like my favorite character he has been the whole time. He's mysterious, but he brings Luke in on his destiny, and it really sets up the other movies uh, in a good way. I know a lot of people think the movie's boring. I don't really think it's that boring. I think I they're comparing... Yeah, It's I, a good movie. Yeah. It's well put together. It's, it is. It it sets up. It's like people say Fellowship of the Ring is boring. It's like it's I don't know if it's boring, but it's just there's a lot of stuff that they're trying to set up. Sure, because I know that they they mm. cut off a ton of stuff that's in Fellowship of the Ring whenever they made that, but it's setting up the things to come. I'm not saying it's my favorite. I'm just saying I I wouldn't call it boring. It's just compared to the others, there was much less action and things actually happening. I would say the only place a new hope drags is at the beginning. Yeah. With C-3PO and R2-D2. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree. Past that, it's consistent, rising tension, high stakes, switches between action and characters perfectly. It's a good balance from the second Luke is introduced to the end of the movie. Yeah, and th- and this is something else that, that's true of the whole Star Wars trilogy. It's like, I, I know, you know, 70s movies are classics and everything, but sometimes the acting isn't the greatest. Correct. Like, it's, like, there's some 70s you movies. You are not wrong. There's some 70s movies that I watch, and I'm like, this could have been good. But, like, you know, it's like Star Trek. Star Trek is good. I, I, I like Star Trek. And it, but there's some comedic parts. I know that was, like, started in the 60s, you know, 70s, whatever. You, you know, the same type of time period. Um, but there's like, you know, whenever the ship, the Enterprise gets like hit with like a, like a burst of energy or something. And like, they do the flop where like, they just kind of start slowly start to fall over the railing. You know, the camera's just <laughs> tilting a little bit. And like William Shatner's like, get the shields, get the shields. He's like slowly falling down. I know you couldn't see any of that, but I was actually acting it out. But, but you know, that and great. that's just what, that was just the norm back then. And it's, and Star Trek is legitimately good. Um, but in Star Wars, they got, like, great talent. Mm-hmm. The guy who played Grand Moff Tarkin, 
very good. I can't remember his name. I apologize. But he is he's a great actor. Uh, Al Guinness. Sir, he's, he was Sir Al Guinness. He was a knight. <laughs> an actual knight. I, mean, I don't know if he was at the time, but he became an actual knight. Um... For for acting, I guess. I mean, you know, other people have it too. I, I guess like it was for acting. Doesn't directly affect the quality <laughs> of your acting. <laughs> but Ian McKellen's a knight. I mean, you know, well, he's a good actor. Never mind. <laughs> you know, if he's a knight, I mean, come on. Paul McCartney's a knight, and he was in Dead Men Tell No Tales for like two minutes. So that's I feel a like thing. That's that's it's a high bar for his acting ability. If he's a knight and he's in it for like two seconds. Pirate, Pirates of the Caribbean 5? <laughs> they got the best they of the best. They got a No, I mean, you know, they definitely gave their best, too. I mean, that, that was a great movie. We'll probably talk about that one, too. Sheesh. Yes. Um, but legitimately, Alec Guinness was very good. Oh, um, yeah. Even, there was some, you know, it's there's some cringy parts, I guess, if you want to compare it. If you were to compare it to one of today's movies... And it's like, it does still, it, it's just, it's not really cringy. It just reminds you of the time it was filmed and created. And it was just it reminded you of other movies you've seen from that decade mm-hmm. and before that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Harrison Ford, of course, fantastic in that movie. Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill. It was all, it was all really good all-star cast. So, oh yeah, that was really good. The casting was really good. And I feel like what's equally important is that they gave the cast stuff to do. Yes. Like, the characters are all great. They're not bland or one-dimensional. And every character serves a specific purpose. The movie has the perfect amount of characters. Mm -hmm. It has a character for every situation, and you can't cut anyone or add anyone without feeling useless or dramatically altering the story. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And some of the characters, you know, like Emperor Palpatine, Mm-hmm. He's mentioned in episode four, right. but you don't know who he is, and that's not a problem, mm-hmm. because it's assumed that either A, he does no direct control over what's happening, which kind of doesn't hold up because this is a super weapon, and his apprentice is there, right? <laughs> or he will be revealed eventually, mm-hmm. and it's it's really good foreshadowing how they just casually, again, normalizing everything. The emperor said this, Vader's like, okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, nobody is like, oh, there's a there's an emperor. Until you get to episode five, whenever it's like, oh, he's coming here. Or, oh, no, episode six. That's yes. what it was. And Return of the Jedi, whenever Vader tells that officer, he's coming here. And he's like, what the crap, man? <laughs> Ask for more men. And instead, you said somebody was going to come here to kill me? <laughs> That's wonderful. It's but, a rough day. But yeah, overall, it was a good movie. Oh, and the music. Like, oh, yeah. John Williams, you can't grow even in Home Alone. Like, <laughs> just think about that. I mean, he write, he makes Home Alone, and that's honestly one of the only reasons why I still watch that movie. It's just the, on, the one of the only reasons. That was that was a little that was a little far. Yeah, that, <laughs> that was, uh-huh. <laughs> I'm just imagining you popping in your copy of Home Alone to listen to the music. Just the intro, just uh, because I can't find that on YouTube. I mean, no. you can't find that anywhere. You just gotta sit there, pop it in, middle of July, and just like, oh, it's Christmas time. Now I'm just imagining you going for a run in the middle of summer carrying around a dvd player and a tv so you can listen to carrying home alone music yeah that's like my that's what really gets me going you know it's like if yeah. i'm gone i'm three miles into my run i just pull up get in my pocket and pull out my tv and my dvd player <laughs> at mid-run i plug it all in and i hold it nothing says exercise like the soundtrack of home alone where do i plug it in i don't know <laughs> 
<laughs> That's not a question I was prepared to answer in the Star Wars podcast. I, I know, I know. It's a uh, st- podcast episode. Right. Uh, I wish we had a Star Wars podcast because that's a great transition to what I want to talk about. Nerdy stuff. Okay. So, like I said, I have the book, uh, the novelization of uh, Star Wars A New Hope. Uh, It was published in December of 1976. So, it came out right before the movie came out. Wow. Which, I don't know if it's just because... counterintuitive. But, I mean, it worked. I mean, maybe people just didn't know what Star Wars was going to be. Because you got to remember, Star Wars had very low expectations. True. Like, very low. So, people, some people may have read this. But then, whenever you see the movie, and you see... Like, imagine back then with the special effects, the visual effects, the, the sound. The, because I get, because the sound was amazing. Yeah. Um, Complimented the music quite well. Yeah. So, I mean... I guess it's just people were like, what's this Star Wars thing? I'll see the movie, I guess. And then it did really well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't realize how, again, how, I didn't realize how different uh, the the movie is from the, from the book. And there's a whole prologue about it. And this was in 19, 1976. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. I'm going to read like two paragraphs because I just saw this just now. Okay. And it and it's really interesting. Um, another galaxy, another time. The Republic was the Republic of Legend, greater than distance or time. No need to note where it was or whence it came. Only to only to know that it was the Republic. Once underneath the rise rule, of the Senate and the protection of the Jedi Knights, the Republic throve. Throve? That's a word. Throven? Have throve? I feel like that's technically a word. Okay, the Republic throve and grew. But once you get down here, abided and abetted by restless, power-hungry individuals within the government and the massive organs of commerce. Oh, gross. The the ambitious center Palpatine. Oh, get this. Caused himself to be elected president of the Republic. President. Hmm. He was promised to to reunite the disaffected among the people and to restore the remembered glory of the Republic. Once secure in office. So... It says, once secure in office, he declared himself emperor. Like, as in, immediately. And then soon he was controlled... Wait. Shutting himself away from the populace, soon he was controlled by the very assistants and bootlickers he had appointed to high offices, and to the cries of people for justice did not reach his ears. Okay. But, I mean, it's just... That is surprisingly accurate to the prequels. I know. It's not perfect, but... Well, considering George Lucas wrote... wrote it <laughs> right um still though makes sense it's surprisingly accurate it I'm said impressed. from the first saga journal of the wills this is taken from a journal we don't have time to talk about the wills <laughs> that's a that's a whole that's another thing entirely thing. <laughs> but okay so move past that the book is very different but in the book there is a portion, um, 60 portions to be exact. Actually, it's only one portion. Uh, I didn't, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> I didn't think I would ever, I would ever quote. <laughs> that, oh, that guy in Force Awakens. Um, I mean, see. as far as quotable Star Wars characters go. That's, yeah. He wasn't at the top of my list. I mean, well, he is at the top of my list. That's actually Obi-Wan in disguise. I said Obi-Wan was my favorite character. That's him in disguise. But in uh, in A New Hope, 
you know, actually, did you say the entire trilogy, there's no mention of the Sith? Yeah, the entire original trilogy, they actually never say the word Sith. But in the book novelization, there is. Yep. It says, there's an ex- excerpt, as soon as he walks in on on the Tent of Four, like the uh, Princess Leia's ship. Um, it says, Sumir's tall, bipedal, flowing black robes, trailing from the figure, and a face forever masked by a functional, if bizarre, black metal breath screen. That's a weird way to describe a helmet. Heaven forbid you say respirator. <laughs> I mean, heaven forbid. Well, nowadays. <laughs> not sure we're allowed to comment on I, that. I don't think we are. But it says, after the breath screen, it says, A dark lord of the Sith was an awesome, threatening shape as it strode through the corridors of the rebel ship. Um, and then it says, Fear followed the footsteps of all the dark lords. To me, that seems like it's saying that there are many. Like, unless, it's, unless for that one sentence it goes back and just gives a historical, just all of them. Just all of them that ever existed. Um, yeah. But yeah, it does mention Sith in, uh, in the uh, novelization. Right. But it doesn't mention it in the original trilogy. No, it doesn't. Yeah. So that's why I'm saying they, they kind of, he kind of elaborates in the book before the movie's ever released. Mm-hmm. And so this is proof that he thought of a lot of the concepts, because you can't make up this, this right here, like the copyright and everything. I mean, it's, this is the actual book. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, he had this planned out from the very beginning. See, Which is interesting. One of the things that I like about Star Wars is that it's full of depth, and you can basically go as deep as you want to. You know, you just want to watch a movie casually, you can do that. But if you want to know every single thing about the Star Wars universe, you can spend the next hundred years trying to memorize it all. Yeah. And it's nice to see in the novelization terms like Sith and stuff regarding the prequels and what happened before episode four, simply because, like I said earlier, it's indicative of just how substantial the world building is. You get the vibe that even though you don't see everything, everything is there. Right. You get the feeling and the vibe that there's substance behind everything and every action and every decision that's made in the movies, that there's an explanation. Everything reeks of intentionality. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he wrote like the entire thing by himself, and then once wow. it did, well, okay, well, I, th- I mean, I would say he wrote most of it by himself, um, and you know, after it did extremely well, like filming episode four was. If you watch, there's a documentary on uh, on Disney Plus. It's called Empire Dreams or something, something like that, that and it's. It's so it's, It gives such a good look into, especially episode four. Like, they really emphasize episode four because it was such an underdog, like, at the box office. Like, it was completely expected to bomb. But after all that hard work and everything, it does extremely well. And he's like, I want to do two more. Mm-hmm. Like, he's like, I want to do more of this. And he's like, I already have most of the basic ideas. And he just wrote. And it's just really cool how you got, you know, if you give, compare him to Tolkien. You know, which is, I don't think it's necessarily a fair comparison, but it's like both of these guys created two different, like, you know, created their own big worlds. And each of them had different laws and everything, and each of them, you know, created their own worlds and laws and everything. But they both did it two very different ways. One of them was like, I'm going to pursue film immediately, and that's what I'm going to do. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to release a book before. <laughs> and then 
Lord of the Rings, he's like, I'm going to write this entire long series that's like has stuff intertwined. I'm going to write anthologies. I'm going to write a history. He wrote a history of his own series, which is insane to think about. And he wrote like four different languages. It's insane. But both of them decided on their own intuition to just be like, I'm going to create something big. And both of them had no real reason to. Both of them had no reason to believe that they would succeed at all. Especially George Lucas going into film. Like, it's like, he makes, you know, he made T- that THS movie or whatever that he made as a, as a film student. Mm-hmm. And then he, but then he makes American Graffiti that puts him on the map. But he still had no idea that uh, Star Wars was going to be a success. Definitely. Um, and it's just, it's inspiring to see that uh, that can be done because we're creators. We want to do stuff. <laughs> and if he can do that, create something out of thin air. And all we're doing is talking about what he made. Yeah. <laughs> and we're still talking it's about it. It's a lot it. easier. There's like 11 films, like multiple series. There's more coming every day. I mean, it's just it's just really uh, inspiring to see. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. This podcast has been fun. It has. I look forward, I look forward to doing more. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, visit the website at thecreativedominion.com um, to see more of our content. We're going to post blogs. We'll have a link to the podcast on there. And share this with your friends. Uh, we're going to be doing more of this. We're hoping once a week, you know, trying to be consistent with that. That's the goal. We'll see. That's the goal. It's flexible. Uh, life happens. Um, but yeah. yeah, that is the goal. Um, so, uh, I really enjoyed this. You know, I, I know I already said that. Right. <laughs> but, but I really, I think, I think this is going to be something that, uh, yeah, that's really going to be good for both of us as creators to kind of analyze other people's stuff. So, mm-hmm. yep. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, share this with your with your friends, and uh, we'll see you next time. Yes, and next time, more Star Wars? Yeah. More Star I'm thinking episode five. That makes sense. We'll go episode five, and then maybe do all... You know what? We'll be flexible. Just uh, make sure you're here for it. Exactly. Uh, that's really your only job. Just just be here for it. And, uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>